a Bible or a smartphone, some device, you'll be looking at the passage with us this morning. We'll be in Luke chapter 5. We began Luke just a few weeks back, and we'll spend the next several months working our way um, through, through this gospel. Uh, be reminded that, that Luke is written by a second-generation believer, right? He's, he's writing um, to Theophilus, a, a Roman official, looking to give him a, an orderly account of, of the, the story of Jesus from the time of John the Baptist through the, really the first kind of generation of the church because Luke and Acts are tied together. And so he's writing in the 60s, um, and, and he's writing to help us kind of see this thread of the story of Jesus all the way through after having interviewed eyewitnesses and having heard um, stories and studying the other Gospels. And so this morning, we're really going to begin to kind of, we, we saw last week the beginning of Jesus' ministry, um, right, that he is casting out demons, that he is teaching um, that he is healing people. The ministry has, has begun. And now here in Luke 5, we're really going to just begin to see the, the next three years of Jesus' life here and how he is going to work and move. Um, and, and it's important for us to remember that last week as Paul was preaching, um, in verses 38 and, and 39, we saw that one of the healings that took place that Jesus has done was actual, actually Simon Peter's mom who had been running um, a tremendous fever. Uh, they come and ask Jesus to bring um, healing. He does, and she actually gets up and starts like serving the room, right? Like that, just kind of showing that immediacy of how well she felt um, and how quickly she felt. Um, and, and I want us to also note at the end of chapter 4, in verses 43 and 44, um, as Jesus is talking to those in the area, he says... I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. And so we're reminded that as his ministry has begun, we've, we've gotten a, a brief glimpse of what it's going to look like with teaching, with healing, with casting out of demons, um, that it, it's going to be relational, and that he is going to continue to move and to work and to go. That he's not just going to stay in one place and expect people just to come to him. So let's pick up this morning in Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gisneret, which is also on the Sea of Galilee, same, same place. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. And they signaled to the partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. As we consider this passage, 
I want us to kind of consider the scene for just a moment. Right? Because of chapter 4, that we know that Jesus is traveling, that he's, that he's um, teaching, that he's healing, like there's beginning to be this sense of, hey, what, something's going on here. What is going on with this Jesus? And that the crowds in the area are beginning to follow him. They're pressing on him. They want to have time with him. He's, he's gaining um, some prestige. Um, and at least there's curiosity, right? Of what is he doing? What's he going to do next? We want to be there. And so as he is here at this lake, right, the crowds are pressing up on him. Um, with, with curiosity, with intrigue, with excitement, is could this be the Messiah? Is this potentially the Christ? We don't know, but we're hearing all these great things that are taking place. Um, and, and typically what a, a teacher in this day and age would do is he would teach seated, right? And so he's looking for a boat to push out into the water just a little bit that he can sit, sit and then kind of be amplified out to the crowds as they huddle around the shore. While this is going on, there's some fishermen, and, and, and they're cleaning their nets after an unsuccessful night of fishing. Right? It's, it's bad enough taking care of your tackle and gear after like, a good day of fishing. Right? Like, taking, like, that's not necessarily the funnest part of the job. Right? But here they are, and you can imagine as they're sitting there, they're, they're untangling the nets, they're cleaning the nets so they don't rot. So they don't rot. And it has not been a good night. And so it's, it's laborious work. You're tired. There's also a delicate like, kind of dexterity that's required as you're cleaning and separating these nets. It was most likely a trammel net, which had multiple layers to it. Right? And so they're, they're doing all of this work. Right? A little bit frustrated. Right? You can imagine you've taken your kids fishing. Right? Things get tangled. Right? You're like, you don't actually fish because you're taking stuff out of trees, you're taking stuff out of ponds, right? Like you're, you're constantly re, re putting bait on, like you're doing this work over and over again. And, and, and so you can imagine like the frustration is a little hot, right? These men are sitting there, this is their livelihood at stake, and it's been not a great evening. And how Jesus gets in one of the boats, right? He kind of interrupts the work that they're doing. And ask them, right? Hey, I'm going to teach. And then he asks them, hey, let's go out a little deeper and let's let's fish. And so you have Jesus, a, a carpenter by trade, telling some professional fishermen, hey, at the wrong time of the day, let's let's do some fishing. Before we go on, um, a few years ago, um, so we we live on Somerville, right? The only street in town that have a median. And as I was Carson, I think was like four years old. Our only kid at this time, you know, four-year-olds, they, they like to talk, and Carson was no exception. And as I'm backing a trailer out into Somerville, and I've just got a 16-foot trailer, I just kind of get to the median, and I'm ready to put it in a drive and to go, so I'm blocking the whole road. Um, my truck died. And she's sitting there with me, um, and she goes, Hey, Dad, you're not supposed to stop here. Like, I, am, I am fully aware of that. Right, and my truck will not start, and so I'm I'm trying to like crank it. This has happened before, and I'm working on it. And I, as I look out the window, like there's a line now on Somerville stopped right there where the median is, and it's beginning to push back like towards the Lizard, right? And so now you can't even turn at the intersection. And and Carson continues to tell me, Hey, um, Dad, like you need to do something. You need to get out of these people's way. 
right? Like, hey, Dad, you should, you should drive, right? I'm like, I'm thinking, I don't really have time for this conversation. Like, I'm trying to do everything it is you're telling me to do because I don't, I don't want to be here either, right? And so I'm starting to flush. My, my blood pressure's going up. And she's, she's four, so she's just talking, right? And, and she's like, maybe we should get some help. Um, you should call Papa. This never happens to Papa, right? And, and so in the meantime, um, trying not to be frustrated with a four-year-old, trying desperately not to have, you know, 20 cars angry with me as I'm blocking the whole road. And I'm going, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do, right? The truck fires up, we get out of the way, and she's like, I told you to do that, right? Okay. With that story in mind, how much do you love having someone tell you how to do your job? Right? Whether this is as a, a mom, a dad, maybe this is as a grandparent having your children be, tell you how to parent someone, right? Like you haven't done it before. Um, maybe this is as an educator, right? Having someone who hasn't been in the classroom in a while come and tell you how to do it, right? Maybe this is in the medical field, right? It's someone in your same field, your same industry. There's just something about having someone come and tell you how to do your job, it just kind of sticks, right? Like it just sticks in, the, in your craw, and you're like, man, this is not going to be a good day or a good conversation if you continue to talk, right? Like we just, we do not like being told how to do our job. And so here we have Peter, a professional fisherman, having this carpenter um, turned teacher, right, who's attracting a crowd who has benefited Peter, Simon Peter, because his mom's been healed, right? There's some level of intrigue. And he says, hey, let's go fishing. And he's just had an unsuccessful night. It's been a difficult day. And, and look at what he says in, in verse 3. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, who was also Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land. He sat down and he taught the people from the boat. Right? This is probably Peter thinking, okay, he's just utilizing my boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Right? Look at, look at his response. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. Right? You, what he's saying here is, I know what I'm doing. Like, I, I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. But that there's enough intrigue into, into this man who has been teaching. Right? Simon has just heard him because he's been in the boat with him. He's seen his own uh, mother-in-law healed by Jesus. Right? Like He's had some interactions here. That there's enough intrigue that he shows enough respect that he, does it, that he does it. So he says, we've toiled all night, we took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And, and you can imagine, there, there's probably a cross of like, I don't know what we're going to do here, and are we going to do something here? Right? Like, there's probably a little bit of both, because he, there's curiosity of, the, of this Jesus, and also he's like, I know how to do my job. And he lets the nets down. And they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking, and they signaled to their partners in another boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Not a typical catch, right? Like this tremendously successful catch that two professional fisher boats, right? Fishermen's boats are sinking from the weight of fish. And so you can imagine the shock, the success, if, if, if you're the, the wrong guy here, maybe you're kind of beating your chest going, man, I'm pretty good. You're thinking of the profit and the money that are coming in from this. Like all of these thoughts are running through your head as the crowds are there and they're watching and you're going, this is really good for me. 
And yet none of those are how Peter responds. Look at verse 8. As the boats are sinking, right? As they're trying to to get back to shore with their, their load. Simon Peter saw it. He fell down at Jesus' knee, knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. Right? Like he is so overwhelmed that he knows what this should look like. He knows this is the wrong time, and he is hitting his knees, and he says, Depart from me. Seems like a, a, a shocking response. Like, no thank you, right? Like, no gratitude. It's like, go away. Because I know who I am. And you are obviously different than me. We, we see this sort of response in Scripture. We see, right, in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve have sinned against God, right? Now they've, they've covered themselves up because they're aware of their nakedness. And God, right, it says He's walking in the midst of the garden. And... And they hide. And he says, why are you hiding? They're like, because we're, we're naked. And we're, we're hiding because we're afraid. Like, and, and he's, right, our natural instinct when we have sinned against God is not to run towards Him, it's to hide from Him. To realize our sin separates us from His holiness. Right? We see this in Israel, the nation of Israel, as, as they've been led out of Egypt during the Exodus. They've been um, provided for and cared for and protected and served. And God has done all this stuff in the wilderness. And they get to Mount Sinai. And when God descends on the mountain, right? And the mountain is trembling and there's lightning and all this stuff going on. The people pull back and they're like, I'm not sure we want this. God is powerful and He's mighty and He's awesome and He's tremendous. We see this earlier in Luke with the angelic encounters. That when they see not... God, just one of His beings, right? The people are immediately afraid. And the angels have to tell them to fear not. And then one final example. This is Isaiah 6. Isaiah talks about seeing the Lord sitting upon His throne. And in verse 3 of Isaiah 6, he says, the angels, they called out to one another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me. Like, I'm dead. For I am lost, and I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. That we see this consistent response in Scripture, right? When you encounter God, that there's this sense of, I'm not that. That there is a level of holiness and separation and we're aware of our own sinfulness. So this unique response here from Peter. And look at Jesus' words at the end of verse 10. Jesus said to him, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. From now on you'll be catching men. And that, that word there, men, means men and women. It means people. You'll be catching People, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Right, just succinct and to the point here. This tremendous story that they're willing to then just walk away and follow Jesus. So what I want us to look at this morning is this, is this encounter with Jesus. That, that Peter had been near Jesus. 
He's heard some of the teaching. His own family has benefited from Jesus' healing ministry. Right, The crowds are around. He was near, and he was potentially even curious and intrigued. But it doesn't mean yet that he had seen Jesus for who he was. That he had really responded to who this Jesus was. He had been around it, but had not yet experienced it. Church, it's a good reminder for us, and, and Paul mentioned this last week in, out of Luke 4, right? that we can be adjacent to the things of God. We can be around the things of God. We live in, in a place where Christianity is talked about frequently, and we can begin to make some assumptions that we've encountered Jesus, and we haven't encountered Jesus yet. We just know some things, we know some facts, and we've been around the things of God, but we have not encountered God Himself. And Peter's willingness and his self-awareness, like, depart from me, I'm a sinful man, in verse 8. You notice what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't shame Peter. And he's like, correct, pull out the scroll, and here's how, right? And start working down the list. Like, he doesn't shame him. Church, would we be reminded this morning that it is not our job to shame others? Right, that when they encounter God, their sinfulness will be ever before them. Right, they will be very aware of His holiness and their sinfulness. And that right, no fingers needed to be pointed in this moment. But it's also important for us to note is just as Jesus doesn't shame him in it, He also doesn't take him off the hook. He doesn't say, ah, don't worry about it. No big deal. You know, you've done some stuff. It's all good. He doesn't say that at all. What does he tell him? Don't be afraid. Right? Like the solution is here. The answer is here. Salvation is here. And it's me. Like I'm going to take care of it. And so what we see here in this encounter that Peter has is that he sees himself rightly. A sinner who's in desperate need, who needs to be removed from God. And then he sees God rightly as holy. Right? And, and that maybe I'm not, I shouldn't be this close. And then he's told, but don't be afraid. Like Jesus doesn't remove Peter from the situation, and he doesn't remove himself from Peter. He wants that encounter to happen. It's what, what we can call a severe mercy. Listen, when, when God opens your eyes to see your sinfulness and his holiness, it is a powerful, crushing, like moment because you feel like I'm lost. I'm I'm damned. Like what can I do? And that is where then mercy and grace meet us. That Jesus will say the same thing to us that he says to Peter, don't be afraid. Salvation is here. Salvation is a person. You you are being invited in to know me, to walk with me, your sins to be forgiven. It's going to be huge for us to realize something here. That our recognition, our realization that we're sinners is paramount to our spiritual growth. If you don't think you have a need, you're not going to grow in Jesus. That you are not Him. That you have a brokenness and a separation and a need that only He can satisfy. And when He meets it, we begin to grow in Christ-likeness that Peter shows recognition of himself and of Jesus, and he shows humility here. Because what Jesus is, is, is gonna, we're going to see is he's going to die for the sins that made Peter say that. Depart from me. I'm a sinner. I'm a sinful man. Jesus is going to go to the cross and pay for him. It's why he'll tell him, don't be afraid. 
You can stay here with me. I'm going to make things right. But church, would we also notice this morning, this is not the end of Peter's sinning. And when he tells him, don't depart from me here, he's also saying, I'm not just going to die for the sins you've committed up to this point, but the sins that you'll continue to commit post-meeting me. Like that he's going to die for the sins of, of Peter's right denial, of his doubt, of his questioning, these things that will continue to happen after he meets Jesus. Jesus takes care of those in his perfect, obedient life, in his substitutionary death, in his resurrection, right, that secures our adoption as sons and daughters to the king. So we're seeing here this idea that salvation is not just a, a theory, it's not just an idea to believe in, it is a person. It is Jesus, and salvation is having an encounter with Jesus where you see Him and yourself rightly, and then you respond accordingly. Hearing Him say, come, welcome, don't be afraid, you're mine, I'm taking care of it. And as this happens, as He tells Him, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be catching people, catching men and women. Verse 11, and when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. What's unique here as we look at obedience here is that he has a call to follow. Right? Peter's call is, hey, will you follow me? Follow me. And, and tied into, intertwined with that call was then immediately some action of, and you're going to call others to follow me as well. Sometimes we want to separate these two things out and say, well, Right, I come to know Jesus, I come to faith, and then I have to study and grow and learn all of which we should do, right? And then eventually someday I'll, I'll do ministerial things, right? Like I'll tell someone else about Jesus. Peter's call, it's simultaneous. Follow me, because you're going to be telling others about me, that they should follow me. Both of these things are happening simultaneous. Consider all that Peter doesn't know. He doesn't know much yet. He knows Jesus. And that he's had an encounter with Jesus that has shook him, and he's now called to follow. He's trusting and following, even though he doesn't have all the answers, even though he doesn't have all the solutions yet. How interesting is it that, that Peter also is being called out of a, a, just this training ground of, of blue-collar work? Right? Like that he has not been... Um, religiously trained or equipped. Now listen, don't hear me throwing rocks at that, right? Paul is going to be a man who is educated and well-trained and well-schooled and well-versed. We see both of these in Scripture. But here we have Jesus calling Peter out of a very blue-collar, right, just hard-working field. and says, you're, you're going to serve me. You're going to know me. And you're going to call others to know me and to follow me as well. And so he's calling Peter out of his weakness, right out of, out of his known um, sinfulness, out of his own struggle, out of this sense of that he doesn't probably belong. He's calling him out of his weakness, but he's also calling him to use the experience and the gifting that he has. Like it's not, um, it, it's not happenstance that Jesus tells him, you're going to become fishers of people, right? Like he would have some insight and some things that would begin to click in. Oh, as a fisherman, what do I do? I work hard. 
As a fisherman, I have to know where to go and where to be and where to throw down the nets and which net to use. We know of at least three different types of fishing nets that were used at different times of day with different types of fish. And we, we, archaeologists have found some level of, of hooks at that point. Like there were multiple ways to fish. You had to know the weather. You had to know your crew. Right? Like you, had to, you had to do these things. There was knowledge to be gained and to be had as a fisherman. And he's telling them, listen, it's going to be hard work. And there's going to be different types of people. Right? And, and you're going to learn how to minister to them in different circumstances, in different situations. There's going to be skill and knowledge, and still you're going to have nights where you're going to throw the nets out and you're not going to catch anything. And you're going to have days right in the wrong time, in the wrong place, in the wrong circumstances where people are just going to believe. Church, would we be reminded of that this morning? As you think of even your own salvation, right? It wasn't, sometimes it's not always in the, under the circumstances of Sunday morning at 11 during the sermon that Jesus then opens up and says, You're mine now. Right? It can be in a dorm room, right? After drunken behavior. It can be in the middle of a work day. It can be in the middle of the worst moment of your life. It can be out of a broken relationship. It can be as a six-year-old kid. It can be as an 85-year-old adult. Right? Jesus meets us in all different situations and circumstances. And so would we also be reminded it is not our winsomeness, or our skill, or our knowledge, as we interact with someone and say, now you've heard the gospel, be saved. That doesn't work. It is a miracle of God when salvation comes. When He opens a heart to see His holiness, and His glory, and His goodness, and their sinfulness, and they trust that Jesus' life, His death, and His resurrection are sufficient for their salvation. It is a gift. And we are called to call others to trust that. And then we let God do the work of salvation, of converting, because only He can do that. Listen, Peter here is being called like literally from a fishing boat. And what Paul will tell us in 2 Corinthians 3 is that we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next. Now listen, in our salvation, your, your, your salvation is secured 100%. Your transformation, right, your Christ-likeness, your sanctification happens incrementally. And sometimes a whole bunch of degrees happen, but most likely it's from one degree of glory to the next. That it was in Peter's brokenness and his weakness that he's still being called to honor God and to minister from the beginning. We need to get out of our minds, right, this idea that, that we have to have everything sorted out and figured out before we can be useful to the kingdom of God then when Jesus has made you His, you are useful to the kingdom of God. Because it's the power of God and His Spirit that is going to be working through you as you voice, look at what God has done for this broken sinner and His holiness. And you too can get in on this. Right? Like that, that is hopeful and good news. And God uses us even when you don't have the slickest words or the most knowledge or all the verses memorized. God is faithful to use you for His glory to see others come to salvation. Look how quickly Peter's priorities change. Like literally fishing, cleaning nets, probably listening to Jesus a little bit, asked to get onto the boat. It's like, Jesus, I think you're wrong here. Catches a bunch of fish, 
sees Jesus rightly, bends a knee in submission and recognition, is told, don't be afraid. Here's what you're going to do immediately. Gets off the boat, biggest like prophet he's probably ever had, walks away from it and says, Jesus, I'll follow you. I'll leave everything. His priorities change. And church, listen, we live in a place where folks want to, to view Jesus as merely the means to avoid hell. Right? It's merely the means to, to get to heaven someday. And, and priorities don't change. And situations don't change. And that is not conducive to what Scripture says salvation is. That when salvation comes, we care about new things. Because we see our sinfulness and we see His holiness and we realize we've been rescued and that salvation is a person. And so we want to live different lives because we value different things because our eyes have been opened We're no longer dead, but we're alive in Christ. Listen to how Paul will write this. This is in Philippians chapter 3. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Right? Be, and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Right? That's what Peter is doing here prior to the resurrection. He's just saying, Jesus, I don't have all the answers. And, and heaven knows I'm, I'm a sinner, but you've asked me to follow. You're enough. I trust you. I'll follow you. And we'll figure this out. Because you are different. And I want you. I need you. Notice, it's not begrudging. Right? Like his arm's not twisted. like, oh, Jesus, seriously? Look at all the money. Like, really? Today? It's not begrudging. He sees a treasure and he follows it. And he counts everything as lost. Follow him. Church, as we look at this short story from Luke 5, we see a Jesus who was sent, right? That's why we looked at those verses in the end of chapter 4 that He says, listen, I've been sent. I have a purpose. I have a mission. He then rescues us. And in our rescue, He is sending us. He does the work of salvation. That, That work is not in your hands. You cannot twist anyone's arm into belief. He does the work of, of awaking dead hearts and making them alive. He does that. And our success in it, right, is being obedient, of, of trusting that there is a harvest to be had and that he is, He's working to save. Because notice, when He talks about the multitude, right, he, the, the fish were sinking the boats. Listen to how this is talked about in Acts Chapter 5, verse 14. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. This is early in Acts. We just begin to see right, the church is moving forth and just multitudes, men and women, coming to faith. That we see this is already happening. And then this is Revelation chapter 
chapter 7, verse 9. John is, is, is looking, and heaven has this vision. He says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and language, languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hand, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Listen, folks, we tell people about Jesus. We call them to belief because there's been a promise of success. You don't know the names of those folks. But the call is, tell people. Because they're going to believe. Many of them are going to believe and God's going to do in them what He's done in you. He's going to open their eyes and He's going to breathe life. Right? It's why in Luke 10, He'll tell them, pray. Pray for workers because the harvest is here and it is significant and the workers are few. That we're a prayerful people asking the Lord to redeem and to save and to do what He's promised to do and know that He has given us a role to play in it. Now listen, so we can go forth in confidence. We go forth in confidence because Jesus has done the work. He's the one that's saving and there's a promise of a multitude. We also go with prayer asking the Lord for more workers, but would we not be, get it twisted? We are not necessary for the plan. What has He already told them? Right As John the Baptist was, was beginning to, to, to bring a message of repentance, He says, listen, you think it's good that you belong to Israel? I'm telling you, God can make these rocks the sons of Abraham and make them cry out. God allows us into this. This is the plan that He has knit together, but God can rescue and save apart from us. And so we go gladly and joyfully because there is a mission. We go confidently. We go prayerfully. We go obediently. And then God gets the glory for it. The church, the call on us this morning is this, is obedience. That if you're hearing the Lord this morning for the first time say, hey, yeah, you, you're mine, and you are overwhelmed by His holiness and your sinfulness, Trust that He is sufficient for you. Know that there are, you're surrounded by many who have had that same experience and would say the Lord is enough. His mercy and His grace are sufficient. And that we are then called to follow, to trust, and to obey. But would we also not forget that we're to treasure Him? Because He's sufficient. He's worth leaving everything behind to follow. And so we're going to see what this looks like as he continues to call disciples, as he enters into day-in and day-out ministry, what it looks like to obey and to treasure Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. This morning, would maybe would those two words be the words that we linger on? Am I obedient? Not because it saves me, but because he's called me to something. And do I treasure him? I long for more of Him because like Peter, we have seen that He is good and He is sufficient and He is enough. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for us, asking the Lord to reveal our obedience and our treasuring, that He would open our eyes to see His worth. We would see Him rightly. And then the band's going to come back up. We're going to sing to our King who hears these songs um, from our mouths and from our hearts and from our mind that we would be in agreement saying these right and true things to Him. During those songs, if at any point you would like to get up and take the Lord's Supper as an individual with your friends, with your family, please do that. There's four tables set up around the room. 
Remembering that the table is representative of His blood spilled so that yours isn't. And His body broken, crushed, and crucified so that yours isn't. That we stand before Him um, as those in Christ this morning with righteousness, not based on your merits or your ability or your obedience, but because of Jesus's. And so if you don't yet trust Jesus, if you don't yet know Him, the tables it's not for you. It's for those who are trusting this morning that they are at peace with God because of Jesus. But that invitation is open to you, that if you don't yet know that, that you can taste and see that the Lord is good. There'll be some men and women in the back if you need someone to talk to, to pray with, for any variety of reason. Would we give the Spirit space to move and maneuver among us now? Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your faithfulness to Your people. Thank You that, that, that there are times where You just, in a moment, You just do all the work and rescue us. Lord, and for some of us, our story is, is more gradual, of coming to a realization, of an understanding, of having questions asked and then answered. Lord, so whether it's been a long, drawn-out thing or an immediate moment, Lord, would You continue to woo Your people to see You? Would You open our eyes to see the truth and the beauty and the glory and the holiness of You? And God, in the midst of that, we know it means that we see our own brokenness and that we receive grace because of You. Would You be glorified when we respond in obedience this morning? In Jesus' name, amen.